My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. When we think of our life with the Messiah, what, what comes to mind? Well, we should recognize that he is, he is our life. Without him, you know, we were dead in our trespasses and sins. We have the foretaste of, of the blessings. We have fellowship. We have just the joy, the, a heart that loves the scripture. All because of Messiah? What's that? All because of Messiah? All because of Messiah. Yeshua, Messiah, King of Kings, Lord of Lords, yo. It's uh, Wednesday, January 30th, 2019. This is Messiah Matters number 251. Debating people on why I don't debate. My name is Caleb Hank. And drinking fresh water from a TR mug. This is Rob Vanhoff. There you go. See, but now here's the thing, Rob. Here's the thing that you don't realize. You've already used that one. So, you know, originality is, is key, brother. Was it fresh water last time? <laughs> it's okay. We're a work in progress. It's, that's fine. We're not, I mean, yeah. See on uh, my screen you're frozen. So I hope I hope everybody else sees you as moving around. Looks to me like uh well, I don't know what to say about that. Looks no to worries. Me like like on YouTube and on my end everything is uh is uh good to go. That's fine. Okay. Um let's see here. Now I'm I'm telling you I'm not opening the chat room today cuz I got I got caught red-handed last time last week. Yeah, I, I, I dropped the ball, so I got to tell people there's been a lot of stuff going on in my life, and I'll tell you about it. First of all, at Torah Resource, I have been compiling and editing uh, a book uh, uh, for Passover. The Torah Resource is going to hopefully put out in the next month or so, and it has collected articles from my father and myself on the Passover celebration and Shavuot. Um, it's, it's a full book. So, I mean, it's I mean, it's almost 300 pages I think at this point. Anyway, not the point. So, I have been so busy with that I forgot to post our short clips this last week. So, I got three short mm-hmm. clips from last week that need to go up. Um and that's one thing. The other thing is that my wife and I have been preparing feverishly to try to launch Growing in Messiah, which is uh we're excited for it. But we're realizing that it's going to take longer to launch than we thought. There's a lot of small little things that we got to get together, you know, uh, expenses that we didn't expect were going to come up. Um, and then also just format. So we've been actually doing practice runs. We ha- have already recorded a pilot, which will probably never see the light of day. And we're going to do another one tomorrow. Um, so... It's going to, uh, it's it, yeah, but, uh, you know, it could be a couple months before we actually get anything up and rolling. I've written articles already, though, which is for our for Growing in Messiah, which is going to be nice because I'll have a couple in the bank. So, you know, anyway, life has been very busy, but we are excited. What's been going on with you, man? Um, just teaching classes, which is always awesome. That's right. In the middle of Greek, we're in the middle Fifth of week. rabbinic literature class, in the middle, middle of a... Studies in the Torah class, getting into issues of hermeneutics and translation and all that. 
Good stuff. Cool. And I've got I've got uh, that paper that I'm uh, real privileged to to be able to do. So Rob's keep going me in to your Israel. prayers. Going to Israel. What's that? I said Rob's going to Israel. Yeah. So I've got a paper to give, and I'm going to be talking about the the making of the Aleppo Codex. Sweet. And excited about that. Uh, that's a two-day conference. I think part of it's at what's called the Van Leer Institute in Jerusalem. And the, this, the second day is at Hebrew University at Mount Scopus, which is just north there of of the city, of the old city. And uh, Dude, that is the ultimate Bible nerd out. Oh, yeah. Like, fly yeah. all the way around the world to the land, to Israel, to Jerusalem, in order to sit in a room with a bunch of Bible nerds and talk yeah. about the nerdiest stuff possible. Well, wait a minute. Bible. That was awesome. more the the one I did in 2017. There, those this were the, one, those were this the nerds one is nerds. comparative religion. <clears throat> so it's a little bit. This is me stretching a little bit in that it's uh, an audience that is for the academic study of religion. So I'm, you know, some of the other presentations could be about other religions. William in the chat room says, Rob, if you're coming to Israel, come and join my wife and I for Shabbat dinner, standing invitation. Thank you, William. I appreciate that. We're still putting together our uh, our, our itinerary. So, but thank you. Yeah. And, and just uh, keep me in your prayers for for God's guidance and provision, et cetera. I got, but, a, uh, I got something fun, too, that I just signed up for. What's that? Oh, that's I, right. I, I saw your up, tweet on it. Yeah, I, I signed up for a class by the Institute for Expository Teach, uh, Preaching here in Olympia, Washington, the capital of our great state. It's going to uh, be awesome, and uh, Steve Lawson is going to be teaching. I'm very excited for it, and uh, it's, it's going to be on uh, preaching the gospel of grace. So, super excited. It's in a month. So, I'm, I mean, I don't know what else to say. I'm just pumped. It's going to be awesome. I'm excited for you. And actually, the interesting thing that I just realized is that as soon as that's done, the next day I leave to go over to your neck of the woods. Oh, it's that same week. That's it's right. It's the same week. Yes. So, uh, you will be leaving for Israel the day that I'm leaving for Olympia. Wow. <laughs> my, cool. my trip's only 30 Adventures. minutes. <laughs> Adventures. <laughs> exactly. So right. you're being, you're, you're, this is really cool. So you and I are both stretching ourselves a little bit, uh, putting ourselves into new realms where we're called upon, you know, to use our skills, right? And our, right. and, but to stretch and to learn and, and grow. And I think that's good that we all need to do that every once in a while. It was interesting on the, uh, on the application. It wasn't an application on the form you fill out to, uh, to, to go to this class on, on uh, you know, by Lawson, it said, what's your title? And it had like, I think it had four or five options. It was like, <laughs> lead or lead. other. Did yeah. it, have a- it had other. And I, and I, I, I thought I chose other, but I think I chose lead pastor on accident. So that's going to be on my badge, but it's like head pastor, sub pastor, which was, and then it like deacon, you know, uh, kids, youth ministry, Stuff like that, and then and then it was like worship leader, other. You said they didn't have a podcast uh, <laughs> producer. <laughs> they well, other, I guess. Uh, anyway, this is all about getting the word out, right? Getting the gospel. How do you communicate the gospel? Yeah, it's gonna you be might, awesome. You might be the only person there who's like on the tech 
like the millennial tech edge of of uh, you know the YouTube. You know what thing. I just realized? You know, my family goes to church almost every single week, and it's usually a different church every week on Sundays. Um, and I realized that I am now pushing the age bracket of pastors in a lot of different areas. A lot of the pastors I meet are my age or younger. I'm, yeah. I mean, I'm old, man. 37 God, years old. I'm pushing it. I've been, me- I've been meaning to talk to you about that. <laughs> okay, let's jump in. First of all, I want to say, so my intro, I said something about debating people and debating. I got to share this. Oh, well, before we do that, let's uh, let's thank our, our producers. Um, where are my producers? There they are. Uh, these are our producers. We are so thankful and grateful to our producers for uh, helping us out. And uh, you too can become a producer and do that at TorahResource.com. And uh, for becoming a producer, you get a very, very cool cup saying you're an executive producer of this show. We send them out every quarter. So sign up. And uh, we're also very grateful for our supporters. Um, Both our executive producers and our supporters get access to Messiah Matters More. So if you would like to have access to that page and see all the extra content, uh, you can do so for as little as $5 a month. That's the price of a latte at Starbucks or less for uh, every month and you get extra content and you get to say that you help support this show. So go do that and also become part of the conversation. Uh, I always press the wrong button. Sorry, guys. Uh, Seahag at TorahResource.com, Seahag at TorahResource.com, <clears throat> or our comment line. And we're getting some good comments on our comment line, 253-465-3205. It's 253-465-3205. Okay, let's move on. Here we go. Um, so I got this comment on a, now I think the person was kind of being a little flippant. However, we get this often. We get this kind of question often. And the question is about debating. In other words, you know, we've had a lot of people, oh, you should debate this person. You should debate this person. Well, this person, Daniel, writes on one of our uh, videos and says, Robin Caleb, would you ever consider debating Rabbi Asher Meza? Now, Asher Meza, for those who don't know, I know of Asher Meza. Um, he, uh, well, I, he was raised Christian. He left the faith, became a rabbi, and now is he pushes the bounds uh, even with the Orthodox. A lot of the Orthodox are not very happy with Asher's positions. Anyway, with all that said, I've talked to, to Asher on the phone several times. I think maybe once or twice. I know for sure once, and it was a long conversation. Um, and then I think we might have talked another time. Anyway, um, first of all, we've never debated anyone. Right? Yeah, I just... I'm not sure why people think that we're like, that's our, our thing. Debate's not really my thing. Yeah. I mean, I don't. Um, so, I mean, if, if someone's going to debate, debate somebody like Asher Mesa, contact a James White or a Michael Brown. And Michael Brown has talked to Asher Mesa before. Or, um, you know, some of these guys who actually debate. Wow. Do people, why do people want, I'm just not, to me, the d- debates don't really accomplish much just for me person for my style of learning. So I don't mean that generally. I mean that just for my, my style of learning, but I wonder, do people just get entertained by debates? In other words, they just like, <laughs> like going to a boxing match or, or is it just entertaining to, to see two so- people? So committed I, to different things, kind of spar it out and then just say, yeah, and then to talk about it. I Yes and no. So, for instance, uh, like when Ken Ham debated, I forget who, on uh, creationism, 
Now, my mind is pretty much already set. set. I, I've studied this before. I know what I believe. I'm not going in to watch this debate thinking, oh, man, I might actually turn to uh, the other side. You know? So that so was... Are, right. that, are most that, people like that? Well, I don't know. I, I believe it depends on the debate. When it came to something like, you know, uh, well, the doctrines of grace, for instance... Now, I watched, I first read, and I've told this story before, I first read J.I. Packer's sovereignty, uh, Evangelism and the Sovereignty of God, which was the first light, light bulb that went on in my brain f- towards the doctrines of grace. Uh-huh. Now, when I watched James White debate the topic, that's when the, the nail in the coffin happened for me in the doctrines of grace. So it was, that, it was one of his debates that actually solidified that in my mind. Yeah, I could say the same thing about... Um, I mean, I've always believed in the deity of the Messiah, but... So, so the debate helped you, particularly with the doctrines of grace, the debate helped you because of the format of the debate, or was it just that a person gave information that you could have got from an R.C. Sproul YouTube video? If yeah, you knew so, where to look. So, yeah, if you knew a, where to that's look. a great question, and, and my answer to that would be, yes, all the information is readily available, and I'm sure that I could have come to it through other means. But one of the things that really strengthened it for me was seeing the lack of argument from the other side. Oh, gotcha. Okay, no, that I could see how that would be helpful. So you have two people that are that are supposed to be presenting side, you know, side against side. And when James White presented this side, it was like, wow, that sounds really good. And I'm sure I probably get, could have gotten that from Sprawl or whatever. But then on the other side, you have like, what What are you talking? Like, come on, that that's not a good argument. That's the best you get. This is the best that this side has. You know, those are the kind of the things. But for me, if I'm going to watch a debate, I don't want to watch some no-name, you know, YouTuber get on and debate someone who is you know, proficient at debating. I'm not a debater. Right. I was not on the debate team at my school because I was homeschooled. It would have been me debating my mom. I mean, you know, so maybe I'd be good at that. I don't know. But for me, uh, this is what I wrote back. And and this is kind of the the way that I think about it. I said, uh, no, what would be the point? I'm fully aware of Mr. Mays and I've chatted with him on, on the phone. I am not sure what benefit would come out of debating him. And this is Mesa particularly. Or what, or what would the goal of the debate be from our perspective? Well, yeah, I, I say his position is clear. He thinks no. that Yeshua is not the Messiah. Our position is clear. We think Yeshua is the Messiah. If people have questions, I'm sure they could uh, be answered on our website. In other words, we have given multiple, multiple, I mean, hundreds of, thousands of hours of audio, thousands of pages written on our stance. If people want to know what our stance is, they can go, you know, they can go look at it. But I mean, I've never really been interested in in debating because that's not really what, what we've done. And Lois in the chat room is correct. She says, Paulette could have won all the debates against me. She did win all the debates. That is true. Uh, my mother is a fantastic teacher, and uh, yeah, I credit her for a lot of what I know. Anyway, let's move on. Anyway, I'm not trying to down people who want us to de- debate. I understand that. Um, but, you know, my point is is that for debating, 
Now, granted, I don't think that there's anyone that has put themselves forward within the Messianic and the Hebrew Roots movement that is a good debater. And the reason why is because usually with those titles, Messianic and Hebrew Roots, theological error comes along with it. You can't debate from the theological error. You're going to lose. So I think that's probably one reason why people want... <laughs> no doubt. I think, <laughs> I, I think that's why people want, want you, me, and my father to debate is because they find us to be theological, theologically sound, especially compared to other people in the Torah movement. And so they want someone who's going to uphold good theology. I understand that. But, you know, uh, it just hasn't been... That is not in our in our arsenal or our wheelhouse at this time. Well, yeah, and the time, if if not that I can even really say that I would uh, debate somebody, but if I just imagine that if I was in the shoes of preparing for a debate, I would I would devour everything I could find that the other person was teaching. I would know it better than they knew it. You know what I mean? I'd I'd watch every video I could of that person teaching. I'd read all the stuff they'd written as much as I could get a hand, hands on. And I would know it super, super well. Uh, and that is just a time, the time commitment to right. do that level of prep. Because I wouldn't, well, why do it with any less prep than that? I'm not going to half beep it, you know, for just to say I debated somebody or, or think that I'm somehow I can, you know, not prepare and still do a good job. I'd want to do an excellent job. And for me, that means thorough, solid preparation of knowing the adversary or knowing the, the partner, the debate partner. I don't know what you call the person, the other well, party. The, the other thing is, is that. And I don't have time. To, I, I, I've, I've spent enough time watching videos of, of just, teachers that get a lot of traction out there, but they're just like, Oh my goodness, this is just painfully bad. And it, it there's no personal benefit for me at all. It's just suffering. <laughs> Here's the problem here. here I see, I see, I see two things on this. I'm sorry that this conversation has gone so long, but I see, I see two points of view on this. Number one, we have so much material that people haven't even taken the time to glance at, let alone look at, like really look at. But our position has been stated clearly, and we saw this very much when we were talking about the, the guys over at Apologia uh, Studios, right? I mean, they kept saying things. It was obvious they'd, you know, they're not doing any of their research on us. They, they don't care to, and that's fine, um, even though they're making blank, blanket statements about people who, uh, you know, keep the Sabbath and whatnot. But they're, they're not doing their research at all. So, okay. Like our, the information is there. In my opinion, it's like if you if you want the information, it's on the website, readily available and free for that matter. On the flip side, you know, I see some people's arguments of, OK, if people aren't finding the you know, aren't reading and devouring the information that we put forward, maybe a, a kickstart would be saying this is what we believe and this is how. The unfortunate thing is, is that there's so many technical issues when it comes to uh, you know, the Bible and reading the Bible. And we've seen this. I, I remember watching, a, actually, James White versus Bart Ehrman. That debate was interesting. Basically, Bart Ehrman got up and said, after, you know, James White gives his intro, he gets up and he says, what you just said is fine for scholars like you and me. 
but ultimately, you know, the audience isn't going to, essentially he said the audience isn't going to get it because they're not scholars. He got booed for that one. The, obviously the people did get it. So um, anyway, there's just a lot of technicality, I think, that goes into these kind of debates. And I'm not sure how much of that could be put forward in, you know, in a format like that. Um, anyway, okay, let's move on. So I guess the end point of that was um, we're, we're probably not going to, we're not bringing Ash or Maison to the show to debate him. That's the point. Um, I like conversations with people where we disagree but are able to still talk. And we've had, you know, Chris Roseboro in the very first season that we ever did. Um, we had Jim Staley on and then we had Chris Roseboro. Chris was uh, a gentleman and someone that we thoroughly disagreed with on uh, aspects of the law. But he was a gentleman and even though his whole radio show is about debunking people... He was very gracious to us, and we allowed him to talk and give his position, and we graciously disagreed with him and uh, tried not to smear him all over the place. And those are the kind of things that I like to like to engage in, is a, is a good conversation. This is what I believe, and this is what I don't believe. And we've had a lot of people on this show that have uh, that we've disagreed with, but it, it's been good conversations. You know, I, uh, Keener, I, lo- you know, I love Dr. Keener, uh, and his wife was just fantastic. But, uh, you know, I disagree with him theologically on some things, but, man, he was so much fun to have on this show. Okay, let's move on. Um, Okay, Helen. Helen writes, and this can be quick. In the passage of Revelation 21, 12 through 14, I noticed that the gates of the new Jerusalem bear the names of the 12 tribes of Israel, but there doesn't appear to be a Gentile or Christian gate. What do you make of this? You want me to take it or you want to? Sure. I'm, I'm enjoying listening to you today. So keep going. <laughs> oh, thanks. I don't know what that means. I, I don't know if that's a dig at me or what. No, I was, you're doing a great job. <laughs> okay. Um, I think that the reason that this is, is because of what we're told in Ezekiel, right? The Gentiles, wherever the Gentiles reside, they end up uh, basically getting inheritance in the tri- in the land of the tribe that they're in. This is in the millennium, right? And so... Even though Gentiles, I mean, we become part of the Commonwealth of Israel. This is this is terminology in uh, Ephesians, Ephesians yeah. and uh, we are grafted into the olive branch. This is or olive tree. This is in Romans eleven, um, and ultimately, and now I I know that we've had to be very careful about the wording that we use. I continue to say, and I believe that we that those of us who are Gentiles are grafted into the remnant of Israel. Now, this does not mean that we gain, um, you know, citizenship in in modern-day Israel or anything like that. What it means is that we are grafted into the remnant of Israel, those who believe in the Messiah. We become part of the family of God, right? And so in the millennium, the Gentiles actually get, unlike right now, they actually get land in wherever tribe that they're staying. So this is why... Um, they would, this is why I don't think that there is a gate for the Gentiles thoughts. Yeah. The, uh, the, basically what you said, just to also add in verse 10, I just pulled it up. This is the Holy city, Jerusalem coming down out of heaven. Right. Um, so this is the new, the new Jerusalem and the, the names of the tribes, why then, why the 12 names of the tribes that this takes us back to the Abrahamic covenant right? The covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and that God would have a city 
right? That, that uh, remember, Jerusalem's not actually mentioned in the Torah by name. It's mentioned only the place that I will choose to dwell, cause my name to dwell. And uh, we don't get that through the Samaritan tradition, right? We get it through the Davidic and the, the prophetic tradition that we have in the Tanakh. And so this is the future. This reminds me of, of uh, Matthew 8. You know, Yeshua says, uh, uh, many will come from the east and west and will sit at the table with Abraham, right. Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom. Well, what does it mean? Who else is there? Well, if Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are there, the sons of Jacob, the representative sons of Jacob are going to be probably the core organizing uh, principle, just like we see here with the gates. And, and one other point is if you continue reading, it says that the verse 14, the wall of the city had 12 foundation stones with the 12 names of the 12 apostles of the lamb. So we could wonder, and I, you could probably read some commentaries. What are the 12? Is Paul one of those or someone else? We don't know. But, uh, so you're not getting into the city unless you're a new creation in Yeshua, right? You're, um, this isn't just for Israel lost that's going to come back and, you know, without accepting Yeshua, right? right. So it's a good question. Um, back to the Romans 11 picture. You know, just this morning, someone posted on one of our, we had for whom did Christ die, right? For whom? I think it's who did Messiah die for and that someone called us out for using who instead of whom. Right. Just to, that's totally fine. But someone posted, oh, yeah, this is Romans 11, and it's only the lost sheep of the house of Israel. So in other words, the only people who are saved in this person's view are Israelites that are just got lost among the nations. And they don't understand that this, <laughs> you know, I suppose they would read something like Cornelius in Acts 10 or or the centurion in in. Uh, Matthew 8, as being, oh, they were just, they were Israelite, but they forgot who they were. And so they were grafted back in. But what, it's it's so short-sighted, and, and it fails to acknowledge uh, Ruth, for example, right, uh, is a perfect example, or even Caleb in the Torah. Uh, these were non-Israelites that became grafted in. Moses' uh, wife? Moses' wife, sure. Well, Abraham. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah, um, exactly. he's the the core the core, you know, person that uh, he's the one that uh, God says Abraham, my the one I love, Abraham, my friend. So, yeah. Somebody good. said uh, somebody said in the uh, in the chat room, we are Israel. I you know I want to make very very distinct what my words mean here. I think that there's a difference between Israel. And the term that we're using, Israel, and Jew or Jewish. So I, I, and I know that I know the various uh, issues that go along with this, but I believe that unlike the two house uh, proponents who would say that Jew means like the southern tribes, I take Jewish to mean ethnic descendants from Jacob. That bloodline descendants from well, Jacob. then you, but but it's charged, isn't it? I mean, you have the, the black Hebrew Israelites, right? And they believe they are ethnically uh, Israelites, but they would not call themselves Jewish at all, right? Um, so, <clears throat> and we know this goes back to 
even early Mormonism and even before that, the early colonial, at times there were people that ran around teaching that the Native Americans were the lost tribes of Israel. Um, so this this kind of idea of finding a, a people group in the world and then labeling it, we have so many conflicting uh, identifications and there's no way to prove it. So then people go, oh, well, we'll do the, I'll spit in a jar or whatever to prove. And then they find out there, oh, I have a, a 1% Ashkenazi or something. Well then, well then if that's your identification, that's not a, that's not one of these other tribes. Right. You know, if you're Ashkenazi, if you're, <laughs> if the DNA tells you you're Ashkenazi Jewish, then you're Jewish. Right. Or you're, or well, no, I wouldn't say you're Jew, you're automatically there by Jewish, but you've got a little sliver of that in your history. So, I, I just think it's important for, for the way that I use the terminology. Israel, uh, when Israel, when Israel comes out of Egypt, it's a mixed multitude, Jew and Gentile, and it's referred to as Israel. Right. Whereas Jew or Jewish... Well, uh, and the word, just if we're going to say that Jerusalem's not actually in the Torah by name, the word Yehud, uh, Yehud or Yehudi is not in right. either. You're right. Uh, so they're called B'nai Yisrael, right? That's the name for... Uh, in the Torah. But in the Torah is a mixed multitude. Once again, mm -hmm. they're grafted. You know, we see a, a, a very distinct grafting in. Okay, let's move on. Oh, dude, I don't know why, but my mouse keeps. Maybe your battery's dead. It's not a battery powered mouse. So probably not. Okay. Um, well... This is for clarification. Robbie writes the last two shows, the tent. Well, I was actually, this is, Two, uh, three show, two shows ago. The last two shows, the Temple Institute was mentioned. If it is not too much to ask, could you possibly squeeze in a little talk about this to clarify, as in how we believers should view the Temple Institute and the Israel nation state of today? As a whole, they do not accept Yeshua, but as you have said, Yeshua honored the Temple of his time, even though I think the Father's pres uh, presence wasn't in it. I, th there's numerous uh, things here that we could say. Um, for me personally, I don't put much stock in the Temple Institute at all. And the reason yeah. why is because they haven't done anything yet. The, the nation of Israel as a government would have to come up against essentially the world to get the Dome of the Rock off of the Temple Mount. I don't see the Temple being rebuilt anytime soon until either the Messiah comes back or unless there is a huge shift in major upheaval. Yeah. yeah. And so I, I agree. I, and so it's hard to speculate on, on things like that. I think in my view, and now this is, I could be wrong, but my gut feeling is that the temple Institute falls in line with some of these other, what I call their fake news outlets, like uh, breaking Israel news or something like that, where it's, uh, Jewish authors and, and writers who who benefit from Christian tourism and support from Zionist Christian uh, support. I think if it, my my I could be totally wrong on this, but my my gut feeling is that if you pulled just if you looked at the history of the Temple Institute and you pulled all Zionist Christian support and tourism, they wouldn't be. <laughs> They would. They wouldn't even be anything uh, to what they are. Um, Don't get me wrong. Some of the stuff that they've done is interesting. It's good. You know, when I was in Israel, 
<clears throat> back in 19, this was years and years ago, back in 1999, they had just made the menorah that they, you know, the Temple Institute had built this menorah and it was all, you know, gold plated and they had it in this huge case. There was armed security guarding it the whole time. Um, and, and it was the first, I, if I'm, the way that I understood it, it was the very first time it had ever been revealed or whatever, you know, that they had, that they'd built this. Um, it was a big deal. You know, they had, they had it on display, 24 hour, uh, armed guards, the whole nine. Uh, and it was really cool to see the, the size, the sheer size of it alone was very, very cool to see. Do I think that that means that the Temple Institute is, I mean, I'm not, look, I'm donating to, uh, to organizations that I feel are, are putting forth the gospel to people. Now, I'm not telling anyone where to put your money or donate your money. All I'm saying is that for me, I find other uh, ministries, I find ministries that are, are uh, trying to further the expansion of the kingdom to be uh, much more up my alley. So I've never donated to the Temple Institute, and I don't plan on doing that anytime soon. That's Now, if they ended up building a temple on the Temple Mount, I don't know what I would think. I would have to, uh, I'd have to... I'd have to cross that bridge when I came to it. It'd be very interesting. I hope that clears that up. Okay. Um, let's move on to, well, Frank left a, a phone message. Frank from Louisiana. And he said, what is the law of Christ? Now, he had a longer message than this, but the mm -hmm. general gist was, what is the law of Christ? I want to jump into this because I think that this is important. And then we also said that we might talk about, we got a couple of different things. Uh, Tim wrote in on Hebrews 9.15. I have an uh, audio clip. He didn't write in. He called in. Uh, I have an audio clip of that. And then we also have, we have to get to this one today, John 7.16, which I also think is really important and, and good. So, um, John 7.16. Okay. Yeah. Um, but let's start with, uh, let's start with Frank. What is the law of Christ? He's talking about Good Galatians question. 6, 2, and then it's also kind of, it's in a little different form in 1 Corinthians 9, 21. So, um, I'll read both of these first and then we'll talk about it. In Galatians 6, 2, he says, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law, namas, uh, it's actually namu there, but namu of Christ, of Messiah, Right. right. And um, uh, so, yeah, the law of Christ is basically how, it's not basically, it is how it should be uh, uh, translated. And then we have the same kind of thing in 1 Corinthians 9.21. To those outside the Torah, I became as, and this is the word namas, uh, to those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ or the uh, Namu of, of Christ. I think it's N right there, isn't it? It is. is it? Yes. N, in. So it's, uh, I know some translations say under, but in, but there's you're a, right. There's you're... a hoopa. There's a, uh, more appropriate preposition in Greek for under. Yeah. Good, good question, Frank. Do you want me to go first or you want oh, to I can, I'll, I can take this one first if you go. like. Um, just to start with the Galatians, because I think that is right. I, I love Galatians. Galatians is an amazing letter. And uh, I think our translations are slowly going to be getting better of that. Um, to really get into Galatians though, we, we need our translations are, have been locked down by um, theological uh, presuppositions. And so certain things that, 
uh, it can't mean that because Paul can't mean that. And because I, you know, Paul can't mean this because of some doctrine, you know, pertaining to the relationship of the law, circumcision, etc. Um, so while I probably disagree with most English translations, probably all uh, of Galatians, I would be thrilled to talk about Galatians in the Greek. And I'm very enthusiastic about that. But <clears throat> the context of Galatians is Paul showing who Yeshua is to people that are by nature of the, the, the scriptures and the fact that there are Jewish communities in the world that represent, you know, claim to represent God's law. There is a potential confusion for a new believer to, to think, to, to stop looking at Yeshua and start looking at these communities as representing God's will. And Paul's setting up this argument to, or the, uh, this contrast, to really lift up Yeshua as the sole source of our life. He's the, redeem, the one who redeemed us, the one who rescued us from this evil age. Right. He's the one that was sent by God um, to do the will of the Father, um, who loved us, right, gave himself for us. All this, his, if you look at how Paul talks about Yeshua, in Galatians before chapter six, it really helps you discern when he talks about the Torah of the Messiah. He wants, he, Paul recognizes that he's in a world where if it's just like today, if you use the word Torah or nomos in the Greek speaking Jewish communities, depending on what community you go to, you're going to see it have a different kind of slant of what it means. You know, to, in this community, the Torah looks like this, you know, the, the the most um, uh, the places where we have the most evidence for that would be to contrast, you know, what we know about the Pharisees over against, for example, the Qumran group. They both promoted a law of Moses, no question about that. But their day to day lives looked very different, and they would uh, ve vehemently disagree on on certain things, and even to claim the others were not keeping the law. Right. Okay, so that's we don't even need to look at Yeshua yet and see just historically on the ground we have this kind of issue. We have we have the shared vocabulary, so we have a shared pool of terms like Torah and sons of Abraham, circumcision, and the different communities have put those to mean certain things, and then they they raise their children with those meanings, and the community's boundaries reinforce force those meanings over against what outsiders are doing. When Paul talks about the, the Torah of the Messiah, the law of Christ, he it wants people to orient their reading of, of understanding of the law by Yeshua, right. through Yeshua. And the core uh, act that in Galatians that Paul attributes to Yeshua is, is out of love for God and out, out of love for Paul specifically says he loved me and gave himself for me. He gave his life out of love and that this is the core and, and would not budge on for, on the truth. In other words, so Yeshua is presented as God's sent, God's son who was sent, who did not fold to the pressures of the religious leaders to change what he taught, change what he was teaching. And this, this would tie you know, ultimately to that John 7, 16, Caleb, if you want. But um, Yeshua wouldn't budge 
on what he had to say. He wouldn't budge on why he was doing it. And he wouldn't budge except by the prompting of the, of the Holy Spirit, only the will of the Father. And that took him right to the cross. But what it did was purchase redemption for the elect. And so that we would have a new life, we would participate in the resurre- resurrection life of Yeshua. That's why Paul says, it's not me, but you know, it's no longer I, but Messiah who lives in me, right? He's kind of on this, he doesn't even know how to talk about himself anymore as separate from Yeshua's resurrection. Right. And so the, the fulfilling the law of Christ means that we are new creations and we seek to obey Yeshua. And the law is part of this. We understand the law as this, this notion of giving our life that, that is not even ours, but giving it back to God in the service of the kingdom, even unto death. And that, that supersedes any fear, that fear of man kind of thing in these local Jewish communities that Paul was, uh, that were all about the Mediterranean. Sure. Um, telling people, no, you don't belong unless you do it our way. No, you don't belong unless you do this, this, and this. And, you know, and, the, and they use bully tactics, you know, and that's why he, in chapter two of Galatians, he talks about how even Peter when these, these guys came, even Peter changed his tune because he was, it says out of fear. And Paul's trying to explain that that's not what Messiah does. The law of Messiah is not being afraid and then modifying, you know, what you're doing. And, and in that case, it was, you had Jews, Jewish believers eating with Gentile believers together, which is a good thing. And that's Yeshua's will, right? That's, right. that's, that's the Torah of the Messiah. Um, in another aspect the chapter six, specifically, he's talking about it with respect to with someone's in a transgression. First, you look at yourself, like get the plank out of your own eye. And then you go and you, you help restore the other, the one gently, lest you too, right. Watching yourself, lest you too be tempted. So, it's still Torah of the Messiah still acknowledges that there's such thing as transgression. It says that it's on you. You're obligated to check yourself and uh, seek to bring restoration, bear one another's burdens. So that's what that is. That's, that is not cutting somebody off uh, because, you know, because of some present difficulty. And it, and it aligns with, with Moses, right? I mean, that's the point. Moses, yeah, Moses, Moses. How many times did Moses fall on his face and 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 seek to intercede for Israel? But my point is, is that the law of Yeshua can't contradict. You know, it, basically, it doesn't contradict the Torah. Oh, right. Yeah, it, it, exactly. Another way to to think of that, uh, I, I'm hearing what you're saying, is that when Paul says the Torah of Christ, he's saying this is the true Torah. Right. Exactly. This is. There is no other. It's not like. It's not like he's saying, okay, you had the Torah of Rabbi Akiva, not that he was alive yet. He wasn't alive for another 150 years or so, or 100 years or so. But um, the idea of that there's all these and you just go and you pick which one, that's not what Paul means. He's saying this is the the Messiah's Torah. This is the Torah of the Messiah. This is the official interpretation. In other words, by Yeshua's resurrection, by Yeshua's uh, death and resurrection, and then the the new life that he, that he gives to to his own that is god's stamp of approval that this is the torah that do you want to listen to of all the different ways you're understanding the torah out there in the world and all the different teachers and the sadducees and pharisees and the rabbis and the the qumran essenes and all this stuff 
listen to the guy <laughs> who never budged, who taught solidly, said what would happen in advance, that he would die and rise again. And then, right. in fact, he did. That He said the temple would be destroyed, and it was. I mean, this is the seal. And then the, the, the fact that you have nations coming and worshiping him and seeking to, to walk in his ways and to learn what it means to love the God of Israel, etc. Um, that's, I mean, there's no parallel. Where, where would you look in any Jewish world and have any, anything close to that kind of fruitfulness, to that kind of like stamp? There is no, there's no stamp of approval on any other uh, type of Judaism, right? Or any kind of sectarian group. Right. So I I want to share, somebody in the chat room says, Galatians has been one of the hardest books for me to understand. I would greatly encourage anyone yeah. who um, who is listening to this, if you are having trouble with Galatians at all or have questions about Galatians, I strongly recommend my father, Tim Haig's commentary on the book of Galatians. It has been a source of great knowledge for me. Um, I turn to it often as I did this morning when looking at this passage. And the very first thing I read, I thought, this is good enough. I'll just, why try to recreate the wheel? Once again, my mouse is not working. I apologize, everyone. It's the battery. (laughs) It's the battery. Yes, it's the battery. Um, This is what my father says in his commentary on Galatians, uh, concerning Galatians 6.2. He says, the apostles were commissioned to make disciples of the nations, and to teach them to observe all that I commanded you, Matthew 28, 18 and following. Thus, the Torah of Messiah, Naman to Christu, should be understood as the Torah as Messiah taught it and lived it. It is anachronistic to interpret the phrase as though the Torah of Messiah is different than the Torah of Moses. Surely it may have been at variance with a with some of the rabbinic inter- interpretations of sure, the Torah. Sure but it was not in any manner contradictory to Moses. To postulate such a thing would be to call into question the very veracity of Yeshua himself. For anyone who comes teaching something contrary to what is found in the Torah is considered a false prophet. Rather, Yeshua, both in his words and his actions, brought the divinely intended meaning of the Torah to the eyes and ears of those he taught. His emphasis was upon living in accordance to the Torah in a manner which displayed genuine love for God and for one's neighbor. Such was to be the driving factor in halakhic decisions. Hit the nail yeah, on the head. Yeah, and that, that ties <laughs> over into the passage in Corinthians, where he's saying right. those apart from the law, what he means is people who don't have even a Mosaic Torah kind of orientation to life. But then Paul's saying, wait, don't misunderstand me. It doesn't mean I'm out breaking the commandments right i'm i'm still in the torah of the of messiah oh yeah i'm under the torah so, of christ i i take what i take this rabbi's teaching right i take yeshua as the what he said is is the law it's beautiful 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 okay um let's turn now to uh john seven sixteen. here's the question hello rob and caleb and john seven sixteen. Why does Yeshua say, it is not my doctrine, but he who has sent me? If Yeshua is equal to the Father, why would he phrase this statement that way? Uh, Thank you for your ministry. Uh, So let's just read, and he, I mean, it's basically exactly what this gentleman says, and I'm sorry I didn't grab the person's name. 
Uh, John 7.16 says, and I'm reading out of the ESV here, so Yeshua answered them, My teaching is not mine, but it is, uh, but his who, but his who sent me. Um, and of course, who sent him is the Father. So the question obviously is, what is Yeshua talking about? If Yeshua is equal with the Father, how could this be? You want me to uh, go for it? Well, I, you know, honestly, this, type, this I'll, I'll piggyback on something that you said when we were uh, when we were discussing this a couple weeks ago. Uh, Rob and I were looking at different uh, questions that have been posed, talking about th different things that we could talk about and trying to formulate uh, topics for uh, upcoming shows. And this was actually one of the ones we looked at. And um, I, I think that your, your stance on this is uh, absolutely spot on. So I want you to go. Well, there's no difference. I don't remember what I told you <laughs> that I thought that you think was spot on. Okay, well then I'll, um, I'll, then, I'll then I'll regurgitate it and pretend it's mine. Yeah, go ahead. Basi <laughs> basically, uh, what what Rob had said was um, he's talking about authority. In other words, it's not I'm I'm not the one who you don't have to listen to me. God is the one who said this. Um, this is a, this is a, a statement of 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 authority in terms of the doctrine that's being, you know, if you don't believe me, don't worry about it. I come with authority and I come with authority from God, the father. It's, it's kind of like, uh, you know, if my, I, I don't know what a good example of this would be, maybe a boss and, a, and an employee. Um, however, it's not quite like that because as, as we have stated many times, Yeshua is equal with the father, but in other words, Yeshua has come. You don't believe that he is who he says he is. That's fine. You don't necessarily have to at this point. The doctrine that is being put forth is from the father, from the sender. If you don't want to believe what I'm saying, I am who I say I am. If you know, if you don't want to believe that, believe the sender and the sender is the father himself. So, in other words, that uh, the fact that the the doctrine is or the the teaching is from the Father gives credence to who Yeshua says He is. In other words, I am the Messiah. I am, you know, before Abraham was, I am. What I'm saying is that it is true because the doctrine that I give is from the Father. That's right, the way that right. I understand it. And I love how in verse 18 of that passage it says, "He who speaks for himself seeks his own glory." But he who is seeking the glory of the one who sent him, he is true, and there is no unrighteousness in him. So Yeshua's not Yeshua. Remember, he's he's becoming a servant. He became a servant. He's not inventing his own agenda. He is absolute obedient to the authority of the Father. He's not inventing his own program or planning his own uh, attack. You know. And it's true. What everything he says is absolutely, perfectly, and beautifully and pristinely true. It's like he's holding a business card and he hands it to him, and the business ca card says "sent from the Father." <laughs> I'm serious. You know what I mean? It's like yeah. you don't believe what I'm saying. That's fine. But guess what? Boom! I have authority because this. It's like the police. Uh, here's a good example. It's like the, a person walks up and, and to two guys who are, are, you know, wrestling on the, on the street. He says, you guys stop that. They say, why? Why do we have to listen to you? Don't have to listen to you. And then he pulls out the, his wallet and he's got a badge in it. Well, guess what? Somebody has sent me. You do have to listen to me. And this is essentially Yeshua's badge. You, don't you, think, you think that I'm not who I say I am? Guess what? My doctrine's from above. 
My doctrine's right. from the Father. That's how I see it. And it's not it's not from a sect. It's not from the group out there at Qumran. It's not from the the elite houses of the Sadducees, or it's not from the Pharisees, right? He's and and who wants to hear that? You know, you don't you don't see that in you don't see that in the Talmud, right? You don't. There's there's no other rabbi in the history of the Jewish world that says yeah, um. You know, that says anything close to the things Yeshua says. So hang on just a sec. This is a really interesting comment in the in the chat room. Miguel says in the chat room, it's about the suzerain vassal. See, now I now I understand where this is coming from. However, I fully reject this. <laughs> and I'm not that trying t- to pick- explain to me what what so the suzerain vassal treaty, the, the suzerain was the great king and he would uh, come in, he'd conquer a land and then he'd set up a vassal and the vassal would basically speak for the suzerain, right? And it, basically whatever the, the... Oh, I see that. I mean, the vassal, I mean, I know what that is, but I didn't understand how he thought, how he saw that. Whatever the vassal here. would say, that, you know, it was as if the suzerain would say. The problem with this is, is that Yeshua... Or is, no, or, or that the the suzerain sends a messenger to the vassal. Maybe that's what Miguel's... Well, the, the point, my point would be that Yeshua is never seen, ever, as the vassal. No, I don't think that's what Miguel was saying. I think that's exactly saying. what he's saying. The point I'm, is, sa- is, I'm thinking he's saying that the, the, the vassal is Israel, and Yeshua is the messenger from the suzerain. That, but maybe I'm wrong. I don't have the chat room open, so I, I'm just going off what I heard you say. But the, the, the point that I would have in terms of the suzerain vassal, and your, your interpretation might be closer to the truth of what he's saying in terms of the fact that, but even then, Yeshua is the suzerain. He is the great king. The vassal's Israel. And this is why they have the the suzerain vassal. Okay, and Miguel, I, I apologize. Then uh, he says, "Yes, Rob, thank you." That that's what he's saying. But even then, that the Yeshua is, and I understand that because the Father is supposed to be seen as the suzerain, right? But but um, I know that there are some people who, and I won't name any uh, ministries' names, but there are some people who are trying to put forward that Yeshua is the vassal, and and the Father is the suzerain. And the reason that I disagree with this, so this is... Oh, I would agree. Yeah, I don't think that's what... Obviously, he clarified that's not what he meant. And, and, I agree so with you, I, Caleb. I, that, yeah. that is not a helpful... Yeah, that's not helpful at all. Well, the Suzerain Vassal Treaty, which is Deuteronomy, right? That's the renewal mm-hmm. covenant of Exodus 20. And uh, Klein has done great work on this. But it's not given to Yeshua, right? It's specifically made between the great king, God, and the vassal, which is Israel. And so, once again, I, I, I want to make sure that I clarify. I understand that this is not what Miguel is saying in the chat room. And so, um, but the but for f- against that, the argument that I'm now stating that people have put forward, I would say, no, Yeshua is the, is seen as the great king. And we see this specifically. Uh, I, I've been studying a lot in Philippians 2, right? And, and the hymn that's given, right? And he quotes, Paul quotes, Isaiah 46. It's just beautiful, right? Uh, how at, at the name of Yeshua, and he switches the name because in the in, in Isaiah 46 it says, at the name of yod every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that right. Yeshua is Lord, you know. And so he switches the name. But the point is, is that Paul sees now, not only does he see Yeshua as the great king that is put forward in Isaiah, but he sees him as Yodhe Vavhe. 
Because this is how Isaiah puts right. forward the, the language. You know, at the name of Yeshua, or at the name of yod heh Isaiah says, every knee will bow. And, and the great part about that context is in Isaiah 46, right before he says this, he says, there is no other. No other one can take my, my uh, place. No one can receive my honor. Yada, I mean, he's just going on and on and well, on. And he also it. says, uh, I will not share my glory with another. Exactly. And then so Yeshua says <clears throat> he's not seeking his own glory. But then later in the same gospel, Yeshua says, he talks about the glory that he had with the Father. And so this is... Uh, something we do want to keep in mind, the the overall framing of how John is writing the gospel. And he starts out, the word became flesh and, and tabernacled among us. So somehow Yeshua is one with the Father. And so I like, you know, I think there might be, as from Miguel's angle on that, uh, understanding this in the suzerain vassal in that way, that Yeshua is a messenger. I see but, that. I, I but can he's get... more, but it falls, it, it doesn't get us as far as I would like us to get, which is what the Gospel of John is doing, is saying ultimately Yeshua and the Father are one. And that is and the idea of the incarnation, you know, that the Word became flesh. This is a core piece here that that we we can't elbow that out of the picture. And that's, uh, I, I'm glad you said that because that's kind of how I feel. I, I, I agree with, I can get, certainly get behind what Miguel's saying in terms of, uh, you know, especially as opposed to a different view of what the Susan Vassal Treaty is from other, you know, from some other people. So I, but I don't, but just like you said, I don't think it quite goes far enough. You know, I think John is presenting something. And actually somebody uh, uh, called in and, and asked us about the Gnostics. Um, and asked if we could do a whole show on Gnosticism. I don't know if that's possible or not. I suppose we probably could. But, um, you know, I, I see the Gospel of John. I, I'm becoming more and more convinced that John is writing specifically against uh, a growing Gnosticism in his time. And what John seems to be doing, in my view, is nailing home exactly who he sees Yeshua as being. In other words, there is no... I, you know, John's basically saying, in John 1... In the very first, his introduction, basically what he's saying, if we read between the lines, I want there to be no misunderstanding about who I see Yeshua as. This is who, you know, this is what I think. And then he lays it out. Um, so anyway, okay. Well, it certainly has been fun, eh? Uh, one more point, just to wrap that up. In John, the next verse, John seven nineteen, did not Moses give you the Torah? And yet none of you keeps the Torah. So <clears throat> here's Yeshua talking to groups that claim to have the Torah, but he's saying they're not observing it. Right. So if they're not keeping it, that's Yeshua's evaluation of the matter. That's Yeshua's perspective. He's like, look, yeah, you have, sure, you have all this outward stuff that looks like the Torah, but you've missed the core of the Torah. And that's why, uh, you know, you look to Matthew 23 or something, you're like, you know, sepulchers, right? Full of dead men's bones, but you're painted real pretty on the outside. And, and, uh, so keeping the Torah is a, is going to be defined by what community or what leaders are calling the shots. And if your leader's not Yeshua, then you're going to have, you know, some sort of skewed, um, and corrupted, idea of what God expects of us. 
Right. And I, I, back to your uh, the passage about sepulchers, right? Whitewashed <clears throat> tombs. I mean, he makes the exact same argument in, in Mark 7. Now, it's always misinterpreted as, as kosher food, but his point is you wash the outside of the cup. Speaking of, you know, what you do on the outside. But on the inside, it's filthy. Right. In other words, what what's in your heart is what matters, but you're washing the outside. You're, you're trying to do all this stuff on the outside. The inside doesn't look nice. So what is it? So, oh boy, maybe we should just wrap with this, talking about this a little more. What does it take for a person to see their insides are dirty? I'm thinking back to our original idea. We were talking about uh, uh, the doctrines of grace. The doctrines of grace teach something about humanity's dirtiness, inner dirtiness. So my mind the, goes straight depravity. to two, two places. My, my mind goes to two places. First of all, Psalm 51, right? David, David has been caught with Bathsheba, and he's been confronted by, by the prophet, and so now he falls on his face, right? And he continually says, it's not, you, if, if you would have cared about, if you would have cared about uh, sacrifices, I would have brought them. Right. But that doesn't matter. And then he talks about, okay, let us bring, at the end, though, he says, let us bring sacrifices, you know, and he talks about it, doing it in, with the right heart. Right, but then on the flip side uh, to that that passage, I th- I think also James. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. There's no way David can can, and I know Psalm 51 is also. We talked about this in Denver. This is the where uh, Holy Spirit occurs, right in the in the Psalms. Um, there's no way for a person to to actually see and get a get a clear look in the mirror of their own sinfulness. And, and then actually repent and, and seek God, seek new creation life apart from the Holy work of the Holy Spirit. This is one of the things that, uh, th- one of the things that um, my wife, Lakesh, and I have talked about in terms of growing in Messiah and one of the ways that we want to encourage people. What James says has been very uh, true in my life. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your mind, you double-minded. In other words, the, this first part of the verse, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. What does that mean? I think a lot of the time, especially in our culture, we expect God to do it. I used to pray all the time, Lord, give me faith. Lord, give me faith. Lord, give me faith. But I didn't do anything. I sat back and I waited for God to give me faith. God has already given us the open invitation. Now the point is draw near to God and he will draw near to you. And one of the things that has greatly helped me in my walk is... Um, being on a consistent daily routine of reading my Bible and praying. You know, we hear this all the time. Spurgeon talks about this a lot. But the point is, is, you know, and honestly, with technology, there's no reason not to. If you have the Bible app on your phone or on your tablet, there are so many good reading plans. One of the things I want to do with Growing Messiah, uh, my wife and I have talked about, is, is actually encouraging people by doing reading pl- plans together with people who are watching. So in other words, posting each day about what we're reading and uh, getting people to read with us. So um, I think that one of the, the main ways that we change the inside, if God has given us the, uh, the invitation, one of the great ways to accept that invitation is to draw near to God. We do that through prayer. We do that through reading the Word. And I, and I think it's a daily routine. All right. Good stuff. I think that's about it for today. Uh, we want to thank everybody for joining us. It's always, I mean, the, the chat room is just fantastic. 
Um, you know, we got people with all, and one of the things that I really, really, really like about, um, about our chat room is that we got people with all different beliefs. You know, we got people who disagree with each other. We got people who are, uh, you know, one believe one thing, another person believes totally the opposite, but, it, but in the chat room, it looks like love and, uh, and, you know, a, a true want for knowledge wins out. And I appreciate that very much. So thank you to the chat room. It's uh, it's great to have everybody and to see the comments as we're talking and, and chatting about these things. Um, okay, don't forget to be a part of the conversation. You can do that by giving us a jingle on our comment line, 253-465-3205. It's 253-465-3205. You can also send us an email. It's chegg at torresource.com. chegg at torresource.com. Thanks a lot, guys. We hope that this conversation has done one thing. That is to glorify our great God and Savior, Yeshua the Messiah. Why? Because Messiah matters. Mm-hmm.